Last week we talked about being reconciled. And we want to pick up that same theme uh, today, and we're going to finish it out uh, next Sunday with the last couple verses there. But today we just want to go back and move forward. Remember we talked about last week that, therefore, if any man's in Christ, he is new. Paul says, old is passed away. Behold, all things become what? New. And we talked about the, that, that change, that, re, that rebirth, that being born again, how that impacts us and how that helps us to understand that once we receive Christ into our, into our life, we confess, our, confess that we are a sinner, we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. The moment you and I believe becomes the moment that we receive the Holy Spirit who will enable you and I to live out the Christian life. And that's something that needs to happen to every one of us. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and one of the things he asked Jesus when Jesus was talking about, you must be, you have to be, the song says you got to be born again. If you're going to be part of God's kingdom, and if you're going to go to heaven, you're only going to get there by a new birth, and that new birth comes by Jesus Christ. Amen? So we talked about all that. Today, we just want to pick up, again, being reconciled, and what did Christ actually do for us on the cross? I really believe that for many of us, we really don't Take, what's the word I want? We really don't take hold of what Jesus actually has done for us. For once you and I understand where we were positionally before God, and now that we're saved where we are positionally now in Christ, we would be far more celebratory and more worshipful in our worship because we realize that prior to our salvation, prior to us being born again, prior to the Holy Spirit of God coming into our life and making that change on the inside that should show up on the outside, we would have a real reason to celebrate because we realize how much he actually did for us on the cross. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Easter. And Easter is, is, should be one, two points of the year if we never do anything else. But out of the whole year, we ought to do it every day. But Easter is one point of the year where we ought to be able to go, my God, when I look at what God through Christ has done for me, oh, my goodness, where would I be if it had not been for the Lord on my side? Amen? For if he was not, I'll tell you where we would be without the Lord on our side. Without God sending the, the Son and without the Son giving his life, we would be in hell. We would be on our way to hell with no sense of redemption at all. But, oh, thanks be to God. He did not leave man in that state where he sent his son to come to die for sinners such as you and I. I think we need to understand that sin is a serious thing. It's deadly. It can have deadly consequences eternally, but it also has some consequences even while we're here. You could be saved, and if there's sin in your life, that is a thing that could cut off your relationship and your fellowship to God. 
You're not the same as you would be. Doesn't say you're not safe, but things ain't right. You know how it is when things aren't right with people that you that are in your family or that your husbands or wives or something. There's something that's not right. You gotta what? Get that thing squared away. That's the same thing every one of us needs to do before God. Whatever it is that's not allowing us to do what we need to do or be what we should be in Christ, we need to get that squared away. So Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16, he says, just going back a little bit, he says, from now on, therefore, I mean, every time you see the therefore, you got to ask the question, what's this therefore? He says, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul had opposed Christ. You know the story. I hope you know the story about him and what he was doing to Christians and to the church at the time. He was persecuting the church. He was actually killing Christians, but he had opposed uh, Christ and all those who were his followers. And Paul was saying here, he once knew Christ from a worldly point of view. It wasn't that he was saved, but he looked at Christ from a worldly point of view, according to the light of the flesh. And the fact is that he had information about Jesus, which is not the same as believing in him. He knew Christ. He knew what he had. He heard what he had done. He had information about him, but having information about Jesus and knowing what he has done is different from actually believing in him. And I would venture to say there are a lot of people that have the information, know the facts, know the figures, know up here, but they have yet to really believe in him. And it's a world of difference, amen? So having information, that he had the information about Jesus, but he did not believe in him. The information about Jesus cannot and never has transformed a person from self-centeredness, self Centeredness to selflessness. Amen? Having the information will not transform, will not change you from you and I being self-centered, selfish in our own nature, sin, S-I-N, selfish in nature, from our self-centeredness to being selflessness, where we give of ourselves. And that's the challenge every single Christian has. Not to be self-centered, but to be selfless. It's not about you. It's not about me. It should always be all about Jesus. And sometimes you have to give of yourself. You have to deny yourself. You have to say, I could do this, but I need to do that. There's times you've got to make a choice between doing what you want to do and really what you know the Lord wants you to do. You've got to make those choices. I can't do it for you. Nobody else can do it. But when you have a real change being born again, it becomes less about your thing, where you want to go, what you want to do, and it becomes more about Jesus and what he wants you to do and what you and I should do. Amen? So, again, information is one thing. Only conversion can accomplish that, and Paul would know because, guess what? Paul was generally converted. His Damascus Road experience changed him from the inside out. We talked about it. He went from a prosecutor to a proclaimer. He once was prosecuting Christians and killing Christians, but now he's proclaiming the very Christ that he once was against. 
And that's the miracle. That's the, the, the thing about being born again. You go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God to being a friend of God. And the change should be so noticeable that those who know you and I should be able to say, there's something different about him now. My goodness. A change. A change. A marvelous change has come over him. Remember the dad would call him up on a Sunday and say, hey, man, let's go do this. Let's go hunting. Let's go fishing. Let's go whatever we're doing. Let's go shopping. You know? And he'd be like, yeah, roll on. Now I call him up. He says, well, you know what? We can do that. But we got to do that after I come home from church. Amen? I would love to get together with you. But I can't do it. I got to be at church. I got to be I, at 9 o'clock. I got Bible study, Sunday school. At 10 o'clock, be in morning worship. I got to get my rejuvenation for the week. Now, after that, around 11, if you want to make, make maybe 11.30, maybe 12 o'clock, hey, I'm off. I'll be there. But until then, I can't be there. Amen? So he went, Paul, went from prosecutor to, uh, yeah, from prosecutor to proclaimer. And that's what God wants to do in each one of us here today. He wants you to be so much changed that people will see the change in your life, and they will go out, and they will say, my God, a change has happened to Byron. He's all about Jesus. This conversation centered on Jesus. Every, we could talk about football. We could talk about, we could talk about the, the NCAA and all that. But somewhere during the course of our time together, he's going to talk about Jesus. He'll talk about how Duke just blew out somebody. He's going to talk about so-and-so, how they love. We, could talk, we can get down on that one. We can talk about things that are happening in the community. We can talk about things that are happening in the family. But sooner or later, he's going to bring it all the way back home and say, but you know what? God is so good. God is faithful. Amen? God's blessed me. Let me just tell you something that happened to me just the other day to show you how good God is. He's a legitimately a God man, and she is a God woman. Amen? And then he picks that up and he says, because of all, because he, just, he went beyond information to a change, that's when he picks up in verse 13. He says, because of what happened to me in 16, now I can tell you if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. I went from information to, to knowing Christ for myself. And because of that, if any one of us is in Christ, we're a new creation. And he talks about all that. And then he says, in verse 17, he says, again, count the number of therefores. Because of what happened to me in the new creation, verse 17, therefore, because of that change, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Then he comes down here in, in verse 17. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. In 18, he says, and all this is from God. Just so you know, this is all God initiated. The change that happened to Paul, that hopefully has happened to you, is all of God. You had nothing to do with it. Amen? Why? Because on our own, in our own sinfulness, we do not have the common sense to come to God. God has to be the initiator. God puts it in our heart. God puts it in our mind that, wait a minute, I need God. Before that, you and I were enemies of God. 
All this is done from God. The totality of it all. The mass, when he says all, that's the totality, the, the mass collection of it all. All means all. All this, all that happens in that transaction in the previous verse, all of that happens from God. Amen? All of it happens from God. God is the initiator. He initiates it. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, here's what John says. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And guess what? Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. The word propitiation means substitute. Jesus died for you. Amen. That's a great thing. Jesus died for you. The Bible talks about scarcely for a right man or a righteous man would one even dare to die. Yet, alone for those who are just sinners before God. We were rebels prior to. And even though we did not know God, had no concept of God, before you and I came, he died for you. Amen? All that was done by God, and he's the one that initiates it. Initiates it. Like in the very first creation, when God spoke the world into existence with no assistance, he initiated the first creation, so too is the new creation. It becomes a reality through the work of Christ. God, didn't, God, God initiated at the very beginning. It says God created. He didn't need any committee. He didn't need anybody else to come and say, you know what? It would be a great idea if you created this universe, a universe. No. It was all initiated by God. He spoke and it came. He didn't need nobody else to help him. He did it by himself. And as he did it there, that's what he does for us in our new birth. He initiates it. He didn't ask you, did you want to come to him? He don't need you to ask that. He knew who you were and what you needed before you knew it, and he caused you to be able upon the altar of your heart to say, I need Christ in my life. You heard a word. Somebody spoke to you. You've heard the word, whatever. Whatever that spark plug was that caused you to come down, then that's all of God. And all you really did and all I really did was submit to the will of God. I know my salvation experience. I know that I went to church for a long while. I sat there. I remember my sister and my brother and others had already been saved, been baptized, came into the church. And before they got there, I was still on the outside looking in. And I went to church like many do here. I sat Sunday after Sunday hearing the word of God. And when my pastor preached, I agreed with everything that he said. I went, well, that's right. I got that right on. But then when it got time for the invitation, when he said, is there one today that would like to come to Christ? Mm, not yet. And then I got to try to get slick. The devil tried to get slick. I started running from God. Oh, well, you know what? I can't be in church. I got to stay home. The NFL today is coming on. I got to watch, I got to watch the, the pregame show about football and basketball and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden, one Sunday, I, can, I, I know this is my experience. I can remember going, you know what, this is ridiculous. I agree. I know I need God. And I, at my house, before I came to church, I said, Lord, 
this Sunday is the Sunday that I'm going to, before the pastor even has to say, with someone, I'm already going to make my way down the aisle and say, you know what, I need to give my life to Jesus. And before he get the words out of his mouth, I sat on the right-hand side of the church, and I, about the third, fourth pew, and as I made my way down, you know, there I came. Saved, got saved, the Lord put it on my heart. He initiated that. Could I have been rebellious and not come? Well, sure. But when the Lord puts some pressure on you, I don't know if you ever had that happen. Have you ever had the, the Lord put pressure on you? Just, just hold, hold that sore point in your life. Because you know what you should do. You just don't want to do it. You're like, nada. No, God, I'm not doing that. But some of you are, are, are super saints. You've never been there, so God bless you. Uh, Pastor, I've never had that happen to me. I always obey God. Why would you not obey God? Because you're sinful. But I know in my life, there's times that I know I should do what I don't do, and God's like a sore spot. And he just keeps putting pressure on it until you finally say to yourself, this is crazy. God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. And I came forward. And that's, that's so beautiful because First John said that in love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. That's, the, that's, that's great. He loved us. Can you, can you comprehend that God loves you? You. You know how messed up you are. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're all right. But I know how messed up I am. And the fact that he loves me is like, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad you love me many times in spite of myself. And like he did it for the first, he does it for the second. Romans chapter 5 and Verse 10, and he says, For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Amen? We're reconciled. If, for if while we were what? Enemies. You know what an enemy is. If you have an enemy, like, and you're in a war, you're not going to say, hey, by the way, I know you're an enemy. Why don't you just come on over to my house and we'll have dinner together? No. He's against you. You're against him. And the object is, if you're especially at war, it's either kill or be killed. That's the premise. That's an enemy. Well, we were enemies to God. And Paul says in Romans, for if while we were enemies, we, are, we were reconciled to God by the death. We were brought back together. To God by the death of his son. And he says, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We're now saved by the life that Christ lived and the death that he gave for us. Amen? Reconciliation is a change from enmity to friendship. And the word enmity means deep-rooted hatred. deep Rooted hatred. And I know because I know how some of us are. Well, I've never hated God. You don't have to say it. You already hated God by birth because you're an enemy of his just because you were born into this world. We're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. You, a, a, a baby that's in this world is already at enmity with God for the simple fact that it was born from two sinful parents. 
somebody says, well, what happens, Pastor, when babies, with, uh, babies or what, kid, young kids die? Well, I understand that what happens is there is called a case of accountability. But, and that varies from child to child. But if a newborn baby dies, it goes to heaven. God is just. God is righteous. But once you get to the age that you kind of know what's right and what's wrong, you know what a lie is. You know what stealing is. You have a sense of a, of a, a moral. Well, now you're accountable. Once you understand that, wait a minute, I'm a, I, I was born in sin and shame, and if I don't know Christ, I could go to hell? Well, yeah, that's what God, would, through his word, would tell you, that if you, he that has the son has life, he that has not the son has not life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want the way, the truth, and the life, you got to go by Jesus. If you don't have him, you don't have it. Ain't no half, there's no wiggle room with God. But if a baby who has no concept or somebody that has, is, has a physical disability mentally has no concept, God in his graciousness says, you know what, what kind of God would he be if he sent babies to hell? Where's the love and kindness and grace and mercy of God there? But once you and I get old enough, oh, we face the full wrath of God. He's not going to hold back. He's not going to say, well, I know you, did, you, did, you didn't really. No, 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 no. You're, you know, you're old enough. You could be 10, 11, 12, 40, 30, 20, whatever you are. Yeah, he holds you accountable. Somebody said, well, I've never come to church. You don't have to come to church. God's going to tell you, you are condemned by natural revelation. What does that mean? Who do you think the other day caused the weather to get to be about 55, 60 degrees and the blue skies and, and the warmth of the sun? You see what, that doesn't happen by chance. The natural revelation of God is somewhere, something in you, whether you believe it or not, there's a greater power than man. This didn't all come just by chance. You weren't in this, you're not in this world just by chance. God brought you into this world. God has a purpose he wants to accomplish in your life. Somebody said, I've never been to church my whole life. And if you have never been to church, well, I will tell you, God still holds you accountable because we're created in his image. And in the very essence of man is a sense of a God or some type of God. But God would tell you the sense of God is just step outside and look at the universe I have created. Look at, your, look at the human body that, that, that you're born with. How marvelous it's been created and all the things that your brain and your mind and your body can do. That's not by just chance. There is a creator, designer God that did that. And if by chance you do come to church and you have been to church and you do hear the gospel and you hear about God, then you're really accountable. You're not going to be able to step before God when he judges the world and go, I, know, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, you did. He'll mark the date. March 24th, 2019, you sat in a church, and you heard a pastor preach, and he talked about God, and he talked about the need for Christ, and he told you that without Christ, you're on your way to hell, and you're dead and sinned and trespasses, and you need a Savior, and I provided a means for salvation by you through my son, Jesus Christ. All you had to do is accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, and grow and mature and be what I wanted to be, but you didn't believe it. That's on you, sir, ma'am. You rejected him. And now the bill has come due. 
Amen. For while we were enemies, he says, we are reconciled. You were an enemy, but you can be reconciled. That's great news. Amen. You could be brought back to God. And that change from being an enemy to being a friend of God. It is a mutual exchange wrought by both parties. God looks at you no longer as a sinner condemned, but if you know Christ, he looks at you as now as a saint saved. Amen? What's the difference? Well, one, you have Christ. The other one, you don't have Christ. If you have him, he says, Jesus steps in and says, hold it, before you condemn Byron, send him to death and the grave and eternal judgment. Father, he knows me. And because he has accepted me, he's also accepted you. And because he knows me and accepted me and, and knows you and we are, two, we are the same, he's all right. You sent me to the cross. Why did you send me to the cross, Lord? You sent me to the cross to pay for salvation for him. I shed my blood. I suffered, bled, and died. And I got up with all power. And the power that you gave to me is that now I can call own children unto myself. Those that are mine are also yours also. He's there. He's in the room. He's got it. Amen? And that ought to be means by which we can rejoice and celebrate. I mean, I was on my way to hell, but Jesus saves me. Amen? He saved me. Wow! He saved me! Man! What can I do for you, Jesus? What can I do to help you in your kingdom. And that's what he says there in verse 13. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, brought us back, us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Did you get all that? Did you get all that? Because of the, all that is from God, who through his son brought us back to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is to bring us to him and others to him, the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? I mean, that's one of the things we're supposed to be about. That's why it's so important that you and I be a witness and testify and witness to a dying world what Jesus has done. And what better way to do that if he's done it for you? You have a means by which you can witness somebody. You, you can talk about all this stuff about the Bible, but when you make it personal, hey, I know what I'm talking about because Jesus changed me. And the same God that changed me is the same God that can change you. Let me share with you what God can do. God has the very best in store for you. He doesn't want you floundering like a fish out of water. God, uh, I, not because I say it, but I can guarantee you the moment you genuinely give your life to Christ and allow him to work in your life, man, you know about a life-changing experience. Oh, will you have hard times? Yes. And they ain't going to be hunky-dory, peachy, creamy, and nothing. you'll never have a, a problem or a struggle. But I will tell you this. This I know. In my life, the reason why I've made it is because I have him on my side. 
at the worst moment in my life, he's been there. Amen? And I can tell you this. I've gotten in places. I've done some things that if you look at the qualifications, if you looked at my application, you'd be like, mm, he ain't qualified for that. But God said, oh, yeah, he is. You mean I have a whole lot of PhDs and MDs and EDs and all that other stuff behind his name, but he knows some things. And above all, he knows me. And sometimes you get where you get in life and people come into your life so that you can bless others to be able to do some things because God is on your side. That doesn't happen by chance. That happens because God puts you in the right place at the right time. Amen? And that's what he's talking about here. He's, he's trying to get us to understand it's all from God. He's reconciled us. He's brought us back to God. He's given us the, mini, the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're about. We're to be about bringing others to Christ. We're reconciled to him, but we also have that ministry of reconciliation. Second, First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you and I have been healed. You understand that, that he bore our sins, and we have to die to sin and live to righteousness. The Christian life is about living rightly. I said it last week. It's not, it's not behavior modification. It is a genuine change. It can change our behavior, but that God wants more than just changing your behavior. He wants you made right. He wants you and I made whole. That's why drug rehabilitation and alcoholics and alcoholics are good, but they can only go so far. You may be able to change the behavior, but if that has not taken genuine root into a person's life and they genuinely, genuinely want to change, guess what typically happens to many people? They go right back into. Why? They thought it was just a behavior. It's got to come from the inside out. And those that are successful, they got it. That if I do not change my, just not only my behavior, but who I am, on the inside, I will find myself right back to a bottle or to a needle because I have not yet changed my associations. I have not yet changed my habits. I'm hanging around the same people. I'm doing the same things. And I know I am not strong enough that if I hang around people who do not want to change, they will pick up a bottle or shoot a needle at any moment. If I hang around that long enough because I'm not strong enough, on my own. I need to change where I hang out. I need to change the people I'm associated with. Because why? There's strength in numbers. The stronger the people are that are around you, the stronger you'll be. But if you're not around the right people, it's, it, it, so it's not a mystery. You know it. It happens in your own life. My pastor used to talk about years ago, if you hang around a skunk long enough, you know what a skunk is, right? You could be driving, I could be driving from here at the church, don't smell a thing, 
but I could get ready to turn to, to the left to go down South Street, and all of a sudden, oh, my God, what is that? And I don't see him. I don't see any little body crushed in the road, but I know he's somewhere. I could be in my house, 515 Marlena Drive, in my bedroom, sleep, and go, oh, my Somewhere, and sometimes I'm like, is he right outside my window? Is he that close? I didn't see him, but I smelled him. Guess what? You hang around a skunk long enough, you start looking like a skunk, smelling like a skunk, and acting like a skunk. But Jesus says, change, be changed. I want to make you new. Amen? Paul talks about we have this ministry. Our, we go from spiritual death to spiritual life. In him is L-I-F-E, life. So many of us exist. We don't live. We don't live. We exist. We go each day to get through that day hoping that we get through tomorrow. That's a bad way to live. It really is. And that's what Jesus, Jesus wants more for us than just to exist. He wants to give us life. He says, wait a minute. Do you know who your dad is? Do you know who your Savior is? Do you know what he can do for you if by faith you claim the promises I've given to you? I never promised you. Somebody says, what's the song? Something about he never promised us a rose garden. But do you know what's in a rose garden? Thorns. My mom has a rose bush at her house. I think we have one. And every now and then we'd be trying to trim it up. And I tell you, those little prickly thorns, they, 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 they're big, yes. They, you go, ah. In life, sometimes you get the, ah. Something sticks you. But guess what? In the spring, when it blooms, oh, there's some beautiful roses. Now, ladies, I, some, of you may know, some of you may not care, but back in the day, roses were the thing. You get, you, you, yeah, you need money now because they're expensive. If somebody show up to your door, your, your beau, your friend shows up and gives you a, a, a dozen roses, woo! Thank you. No, I got a couple heads shaking no, and I know one in particular saying, don't give me a rose, give me the money for the rose, or roses. Take me to dinner with the money you're spending for a rose. Don't, give, don't come to my house. Don't come give me a dozen roses when we can go to somewhere nice to eat. Roses are great. They're all right, but they ain't going to feed me. But they are beautiful. Amen. Spiritual death to spiritual life. Our sins are no longer against this. Christ has taken them, Christ has taken them and put them upon himself. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says, But we have this earthen treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay. 
to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure. You ever treasure anything? You treasure some things? Somebody gives you something or you have something that, that means something? Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay. God deposited in us. We are jars of clay. But, but God deposited the treasure in us. That's, that's the essence. That's the miracle of what we need to get a hold of in our minds. God put his best. God gave his best. God did this in earthen vessels, in jars of clay. You wouldn't put a valuable object in a temporary jar of clay. If you got something really valuable, you will put it in a safe deposit box. You'll put it in a you'll put it somewhere for safekeeping. And God deposited the, the treasure of, of the gospel and the treasure of what he did through his son in us who are simply jars of clay. We ought to be excited about that. He could have did anything else but but he gave it to us. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. When, I, when you hear somebody doing something fantastic for the Lord, it's not that person. It's the Lord working through them. Why? They can't do it on their own. There's nothing I could ever do on my own that I could say, that's all on me. I had to get up this morning because God gave me breath in my body. God gave me the energy to do what I do. It ain't nothing about me. God can say, drop dead in the next moment, and I'm going to do what? Drop dead. So if I do anything for God, i got to realize whatever is accomplished for the cause of Christ and for his glory, it's because God put the breath in my body. God gave me the ability to breathe. God gave me the physical strength, and God's given me the mental and spiritual strength to do what I do. I don't preach on my own. I preach because God's given me the ability to do it. It's not about me. He's taking an earthen jar of clay, and deposited in that jar of clay the measure of the gospel of God. And it gives me the privilege every Sunday to stand before his people and get to them the word of God. It ain't about me. I ain't so, I'm not that smart. I'm not that intelligent. I'm not that great. But through God in me, the God in me can meet the God in you. And the same God in you can meet other people. That's the process by which we're to live life. Amen. Reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and giving to us the message of rec reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. The ministry the opportunity to be reconciled back to God. Wow. All that Paul says in those few verses, and because he says all that, we ought to be more excited. Every time we have the opportunity to come before God, we ought to be saying, you know what? Man, wow. Wake up. The rest of this day is a God's opportunity to give it to you to share with somebody the message of the gospel. Amen? What a mighty God we serve. The God, if God has ever done anything for you, I said I wasn't 
going to tell nobody. But I what? Couldn't keep it to myself. Good news, great news, is something we need to share. Now, I don't know who won the lottery or the Powerball last night. Uh, nobody? Nobody won? All right, well. But I would tell I got a hand in the back. I think, did you win anything? No, he's just messing with us. But I'll tell you this, whoever has that ticket, was it Tuesday's the next drawing? Or Tuesday or Thursday, whatever, I don't even know what it is. Whenever, whenever the next drawing for the Powerball is. Somebody's playing it, and when they get it, they're going to be like the song. I said I could, I wasn't going to tell nobody. But I couldn't keep it to myself. It's going to be 800 million or more, and whatever. I don't even, I don't know what the amount is. But whatever, they're going to be excited. If you get excited about a Powerball, some of us said to ourselves, so I know I ain't going to win, but I'm going to play $2 in the event that if I do win. We could do that on a worldly plane, but we can't go up to somebody. We got members in our family that are going to bust hell wide open. We got people that we work side by side with every single day that if they don't know Jesus, the whole time, you work in a place for 20 or 30 years and not one time. In your whole experience, did you ever go up to anybody and say, do you know, God, that if you were to die today, where would you be? You never, we've never done that. That's, I, that's personal. I ain't about trying to convict, make somebody feel guilty. You ain't gonna, no, they already are guilty. <laughs> you got to make them feel good. They are. They may not know it. And if they don't want to talk, all you got to do is present the truth. If they don't want to hear it, move on. But it's a sad indictment on, on the church, on we, that we move and be among people that we know do not know Christ. Or we assume they know Christ. They, you know, this is something you, you know, you go to the doctor, you know what the doctor says, well, I assume that what you have is this. No, you want him to make a, a definitive diagnosis. I, I, think, I, I think this is what it is. No, you want them to tell you this is what's going on. And this is what we could do to help you get better. Spiritually, you don't want to say, well, I, I, I hope they are. I believe they are. No, you, they need to know for themselves. And the gospel, you share it. And what they do with it, it's on them. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I, this is me. This ain't some of you, but this is me. I can lead that horse to water, and if he says, I'm not drinking, I don't care what you tell me, if they say, I'm not believing, I don't care what you say, then I, I, my heart will be heavy because I realize they're turning away the means by which they can be saved. But I do know this, that when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be worried about them. No. My, I know a lot of people who do not know Christ, who if they were to die today, would not, know, would not be in heaven would not be with Christ. I know some people, and I've talked to some people. But when I get to the other side, my mind is not going to be dwelling on them. If I have loved ones, my mind will not be, well, what happened to my daughter? No, no, no. God, that, that, that time is gone. The Bible says no more sorrow, no more crying, no more You're not going to be weeping over something that, that, that you have no control over. They made their decision. They lived their life. They did what they wanted to do while they had the time to do it. 
if I'm in heaven, I'm not, I'm going to be with God. I ain't going to do it. It's not for me to say. What happened to my, what happened to my son? They're not, no. No. It's going to be me and Jesus. And then he's going to say, enter thou into the kingdom and the joys that I have prepared for you. They can have the same thing I got, but they got to believe. And they got to confess. And they got to profess. And they got to say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. Christian life, as they learn and grow in Him. Amen? I tell many parents, listen, once your kids get of age, you hope they do the right thing. You pray they're going to do the right thing. But if they don't, every tub sits on its own bottom. Pray for them. Earnestly ask the Lord to move on their heart. But at the end of the day, you can't force it on them. I just thank God that he's given us the opportunity to be part of that reconciliation. We're, we're, we're to work with him to say, man, I'm telling you, having him makes all the difference. Father, we thank you for your work.